Welcome to the Wellsprings Word. We're glad you decided to tune in this week. Now, are you ready? Let's take another drink. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Uh, familiar scriptures. We're just going to start here, and then we're going to go on to some other things. Paul says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also, notice this, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we who also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Can you say amen? And so we're going to look at a few things, but I want you to really, well, there's a lot there we're going to look at, and we're going to try to go fast. But he says in verse 23, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, which is the redemption of our body. Everybody just say the redemption of our body. So, Father, open this scripture to us this morning. You've been guiding us. You've been speaking to us, and we thank you for that. And we just ask you to lead us into a little more truth, help us come out a little bit more like Jesus, and we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. So as we've been talking about heaven and and those that have gone on before us, even in recent months, right, recent years, we've had some of our brothers and sisters graduate. They're there. All of us should Christ tarry his coming. All of us will graduate and go. And so we've been talking about what's there. And, and we have looked into several scriptures. We won't go back through all of it. We found out in Revelation chapter 4 that the principal figure in heaven is God himself. And the throne of God is there and the angels worship and all of that. We had fun making everybody's head spin one week. We talked about how did the Old Testament saints get there. And we talked about Christ, captivity, being led captive, and he gave gifts to men and all of that. And I had fun. You guys were all sitting there. By the time I was done with that one, you were just like, but that's how they all got there, and that was important. Um, Last week, we were talking about all of the angelic activity that goes on in heaven's realms and all the things that our eyes will be open to there that our natural eyes just don't see here. And it's all kind of going on. But one of the questions that we should go ahead and look at then, because there's great, uh, there's great conversations that happen about this, is, you know, when we die, we plant our body in the ground here. Or it's cremated and we have an urn full of ashes or we spread our ashes, so forth. Our physical nature is destroyed in the earth. So it begs the question, do we have a body in heaven? Or are we a disembodied spirit kind of floating around like a ghost? I think a lot of times this question is even actually from really great old sources. How many remember the old good cartoons? Uh, Bugs Bunny, 
Whenever Bugs Bunny died, all of a sudden he had wings and a little harp and he was floating up there above a cloud, you know? If you read the cartoons, everybody kind of has that idea. And I've actually heard preachers preach like, yep, all that happens is we're this great cloud of spiritual stuff and all we do is hang around the throne of Jesus and sing for eternity. Uh, and I can remember preaching at a youth conference one time and in, in the session before mine, a youth pastor preached about all of that, how we were gonna worship forever. And he really meant well, it was a good sermon, but one of the young kids came to me at the end for prayer and he goes, can I make a confession, preacher? I said, sure, what's up? He goes, that just sounds boring. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, honestly, we're just gonna float there and sing for thousands and thousands of years? That sounds boring. And I had to kind of chuckle. That's why I always got to kick out of youth ministry because kids will be honest if you let them. And I was like, well, I think there's a little more to it than that. But Barnum, when he did his research stuff a few years ago, it was amazing how many Christian people, people who identify as being Christian, have never studied in the word of God at all to figure out anything about what happens next. We just put our foot on the ground and we go, it'll be fine. Well, that's cool because it will be fine. But man, how much more confidence can we have if we just take a few minutes and let the Bible teach us so we don't have a lot of mysteries? I mean, doing this hospice chaplaining thing, I talk to people all the time that declare to me that they're Christian and then announce to me that they're terrified to die. That's a lack of discipleship. If you are born again, you may not be happy about how you're dying, but you shouldn't be afraid to die. And I've said that before and had people try to come lecture me like they know more about death than me and I will stack my resume up against yours anytime you want. I've been around people dying my whole life and I have watched people who were confident in Christ die and I have watched people who only knew how to sit in church die and that's the difference. People confident in Christ will breathe their last and smile and be gone because they know where they're going. And people that only knew how to sit in church suddenly find that without the church there, they are far less confident. Well, let's disciple up, let's train up, let's grow up in all things in Christ so that we can die well, amen? 10 out of 10 people die. <laughs> Every week I give that statistic, none of you like it, but it's just true. Um, Romans chapter eight talks about some things there and I just wanna hit a couple of them real quick before we move on because some people skip past them. Um, one thing for you to notice from that scripture that we just read is that God's redemptive plan is not done until it's all redeemed, right? If you read the scriptures, there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the first heavens and the first earth were also impacted by sin, and when God is done with redemption, it'll all be fixed. Everybody just say, it'll all be fixed. He is not leaving any of this to the enemy. He's not surrendering any of this to the spirit of the dark. When he is done, all of this will be according to his will and glorify the name of his son Jesus before this is over. And when you look at the earth right now, you have to understand that you go find the most beautiful place on earth right now and you have nothing compared to how God made it because everything you're looking at's already been judged once, right? Everything you're looking at was wiped out by a flood once already. Go to the most beautiful vista. This is the most beautiful place on earth. It may very well be, but it does not even compare to what will be when God is done remaking because he's not leaving any of this for the enemy. 
Romans also said there, Paul makes the point that Christians have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's super cool. New Living Translation calls it the foretaste of future glory. Isn't that neat? You have the essence of God in you. That's what makes you a believer. I know that out in the culture, they try to tell us all the faiths are the same, but they're just dumb. It's okay. You don't get mad at people that are ignorant, but you don't have to pretend they're intelligent either. There is no comparison between biblical Christianity and every other faith because every other faith on earth is try real hard to do this so that you might make it in the end. Only in biblical Christianity does the God who's redeeming say, I will come live in your life and help you get it done and transform you from the inside out because without me, you can't make it. Only Christianity is that way. Now, I know that those that don't believe, they're in the dark. The Bible says they're blind. The Bible says they're ignorant. The Bible says they don't understand and that they won't understand. So when they jump in your face and they try to tell you, well, it's not any different than my belief, you decide whether or not you want to argue or not, but you can know in your heart, I'm sorry, dear heart, there is worlds of difference between what you believe and what I believe. Because what the Bible's teaching us, the Christian has a foretaste of future glory. You've got some Holy Spirit in you that's the essence of everything that is to come. Then he said something that's really important, and that's why we emphasized it and we looked at it. He says that we're waiting on the redemption of our body. Everybody just say that's important. That is a piece of this puzzle that really matters, <laughs> okay? I could actually spend the whole morning trying to help you understand how important that is. I'm not going to. But most of the false doctrines and most of the garbage that have gone on in the Spirit-filled church for 50 years is because people don't understand that verse. When you came to Christ, your body didn't get saved. Your body's not redeemed. Why am I wearing glasses? Because this body did not get right. When you knelt down to pray, if you were ugly when you bowed down, you were still ugly when you got up. Now, one thing on you changed. If you had a big old wart right there on your nose, you got up, you had cried off everything, and you were a brand new creation in Christ, and that wart was looking at you in the mirror. Now, one thing about your body got saved, and not the one thing about your body is saved. You are waiting for the redemption of your body. The only thing you got to do with your body now is control it. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Why? Because you still got an old self and it doesn't want to follow God at all. The quicker you know that and the quicker you unpack it, the easier this gets. Your flesh never wants to get up to pray. Your flesh never wants to sing Jesus a song. Your flesh never wants to be nice to somebody that you don't like. Ever. And I don't care how long you sit in church, your flesh never becomes your friend. This is unredeemed material right here. You are waiting for the redemption of your body. So why flip out if it gets sick? Okay. That's not a question of faith or favor. You're just still living with the same old body you had when you came to Christ. It's why the scripture calls healing a gift. Not a right, not something you already own, not something God owes you. If God heals you, it's because he's being nice. 
If you don't get healed, guess what? You're having the same journey every other human being on planet Earth is having because none of these bodies are redeemed. I have told the Lord, I told the Lord for, for three years, my vision was going downhill. And I told the Lord over and over and over, I don't have time to buy glasses, just heal my eyes. I've read your resume, you can do that. All the Holy Spirit kept whispering is, stop being stubborn and go get some glasses. I'm like, why are we doing this? The Lord said, I can wait all day because I can see. Well, that's not how the guy on TV told it because the guy on TV is a huckster and a liar and a criminal. I'm telling you the truth because I fear God. And one day I will stand before the Lord and answer for what I told you. So I'm not fixing this up. Your body is as messed up now as it was the day you came to Jesus. That's why you can still eat and get fat. It's why to get thin, you gotta starve to death. It's why you can practice all the positive confession you want, but kale is nasty and we all know it. You are eating garbage God hid in the ground so we wouldn't even find it because he knew it wasn't good. You have to conquer your flesh to do that garbage. Why? Because your flesh is not redeemed. You could pray in other tongues till the tank on your car fills with gas. And you probably still need to go in your house and take your blood pressure tablet. Because this body is not redeemed. You are waiting on the redemption of this old broke down thing. Can God in his goodness intervene absolutely does he heal absolutely and every time he does it's a miracle of his grace and his kindness because he doesn't owe us anything a healing is god taking redemptive power from the cross and reaching across into this old nasty flesh that isn't redeemed yet and depositing some glory and saying fine let me help you make the journey but if he doesn't do it he didn't fail you and you need to not let Pentecostal nitwits make you feel bad about yourself because you're sick. Hold up a hand that has a scripture on it that says, be silent before the Lord. And then just keep walking. Because they get as sick as you, they just lie about it. I'm sorry, they confess different. All the laws apply. Bill almost fell off the roof again. And you know what would have happened when he hit the ground? Not a thing, because he's blessed of the Lord. No, he would have got hurt. It's called gravity, ground, concrete, rocks. It's life, it's stuff. If he broke his leg, you know, what, how, you know how broke his leg would have been? Broken. Like, that's what would have happened. Why? Because this body ain't redeemed. Jesus knew. Standing on the pinnacle of the temple... Well, jump off. The Bible says the angels will catch you. And Jesus was like, no. No, I've checked this out. I was hungry yesterday. These are all different rules. You're not tricking me into that. It's a long way down, and there's some natural things at work here, right? We look around our culture, and we go, why does everybody have cancer? Well, we've been screwing up our food for like 100 years. It's probably not that shocking, and it's terrible. I'm sick of cancer. Sick of it. It makes me so mad. A handful of times in over the years of ministry, I have watched God take cancer out of somebody in a moment. And then for 10 other times, he doesn't do it. And I get ticked off at him every time. 
but I keep praying and rebuking it just because I hate it. Because I figure even if all I do is hurt the demon back there somewhere behind it, at least I got in a shot for the right team. But why are we dealing with all of this? Why is our hair falling out? Why is our eyeballs getting dim? Because these bodies are not redeemed. So don't sweat it. You have stuff wrong with you? Everybody does. You have arthritis when it rains? Me too. You get up grumpy because you got a catch in your back, a hitch in your get-along? Don't lose your joy. Just be like, Lord, when are you coming back to redeem this crap? Because I'm really tired of waking up sore. Just, just be honest with him. It's really okay. And don't let anybody sweat you out on your fake. If you were believing God, let's see how good you talk with my Bible in your mouth sideways. <laughs> Read it before you argue with me about it. Because all through the word of God, you find Paul saying things like, hey, pray for brother. He got sick. God was good and he didn't die. Well, Paul, your problem there is your confession, brother. Yeah, I'm sure that we're, we're figuring out a path to something that Paul didn't have. <laughs> we're so crazy. So these old broke down bodies are just waiting on the trumpet. Are you ready? I mean, I want the trumpet to sound right now. I want to be preaching this sermon and just... I got nothing left to see, man. I'm good. I, we're supposedly going east, right? People have always claimed, you know, he'll, he'll, in eastern sky. Cool. Then I'll just wave at Tom Brady on my way by. He'll still... <laughs> Anyways, I'm ready. I just want to go because I'm sick of watching our bodies get old. And we need to understand that we're leaving them behind, right? 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look over there. Verse 20. Now Christ is risen from the dead. How many are glad? And he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. How many are with me? Verse 24 is awesome. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Man, that's awesome. But verse 23 said, each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits resurrected. Afterwards, those who are Christ's at his coming. So if you are Christ's, say amen. That means you have a resurrection in your future. Say, that's cool. If you don't blow it, just say, that would be sad. <laughs> Hang on to Jesus because he's the only train out of here. This all gets worse and worse and worse, and the hope we have is in Christ. And those that are Christ at his returning have a resurrection happening. Why? Because this, this body, all these uh, Christ areas coming, we're going to all die. Now, I know, before you go, before, I felt it. Oh, my gosh. Before you even do it. I follow Brother So-and-So's Prophecy Channel. He said the Lord will be back in 2024. Okay, praise God. I've been hearing that since 1988. So let me give you the Bible. If Christ tarries his coming... 
we will all just die. But he calls it being asleep. That's how much we need to worry about it. (laughs) You ever notice you sleep good when you have peace? That's why Paul's calling it sleep. Just have peace, man. It's going to be fine. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And you're going to lay this old unredeemed piece of trash in the dirt. (laughs) And a resurrection is on the horizon if you are Christ. Amen? So skipping down to verse 42, he's, the whole chapter we could have done, but we don't have time. So skipping down to verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Look what he says about us. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised, look at that, a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, a reference to Jesus. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. This is so good that if you catch this, you will at least smile. As was the man of the dust, so also are those who are made of the dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. My new body's going to be awesome. Way better than this one. And some of you are so cute and so pretty that you're like, I don't know. I think I want this one again. Bless your heart. I'm going to have a new one. Way better. Way better. Anytime you look at yourself and you go, just think, the new one is going to be way better. Paul just said something remarkable. He said, look, when Jesus rose from the dead, it says he spent 40 days walking around with them, giving them a preview of what we get. Because as we have had Adam's substance, the man of the dirt, so we shall have the image of the heavenly man. So when you go like, wow, what's the end like? It's cool. Read that Jesus stuff, man, remarkable. Oh, they locked the door. (laughs) That's awesome. And he stands in their midst. Why? Because the rules are different for the risen one. It's full of glory. It's full of power. And it has no sin in it. It has no disease in it. It has no weakness in it. It has no appetite for garbage that God doesn't like. It's awesome. It's a whole new thing that we get And all we have to do is hang on to Jesus to get it. Isn't that good? All I got to do is not give up. All I got to do is hold on. When the whole world is like, well, that Jesus thing is stupid. You should let go of him. Just understand what you're letting go of. And look at how crazy they are. Look at how crazy they are becoming. Our nation is full of weirdos. This is getting weird right now. 
Crazy, crazy, crazy. I'm hanging on to Jesus. How about you? So I'm going to get a new body. But let's talk about this then. Like I said, real quick. So then if I'm going to get a new body, if I die now, what do I get? See, this is a cool question because the point of the rapture is that the dead in Christ rise, right? We get our resurrected bodies. We have this big party in the sky with the Lord. Paul uses a phrase there, and I tried to write down the Greek, and I tried and tried and tried, and I couldn't say it right, so I'm just not going to do that. But it's there. When he uses the word, there's a natural body, and he said there is a spiritual body. There's a hint there. Now, again, this is just a hint. But it suggests that when we get to heaven, we are not disembodied little spirits floating around on a cloud with a harp. We have a substance there. We have a heavenly body there. And so let's look at a little bit of stuff we see in Revelation about that, and then I'll quit. Revelation chapter 6. We looked at the scripture a few days ago, but we were looking at a different aspect I want us to look at it again. So John is seeing all of this in heaven, right? He's watching all of this happen. And look at Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, he said, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. So these are the martyrs being killed, right? And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? But verse 11 is cool. Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now that's interesting because you wouldn't give a robe to a ghost. Now, to be clear, there's only about 17 arguments happening across the body of Christ about the book of Revelation every day. And some people want all of this to be symbolic. So there isn't actually white robes. It's not a real thing. It's a symbolic thing. But the interesting thing about studying apocryphal literature, which is not something most people just do to unwind, and I understand that, but the most is that typically there is certain verbiage and there are certain words that imply when it's a vision and when it's reality. And none of this is worded visionary. This is worded reality, that John saw this. So think about this for a minute as we look at these scriptures before we close. This whole book is what John saw. Now, when he sees something heavenly and crazy like angels with six wings full of eyes inside and out and all of that, he doesn't have any trouble saying that. It was wild. It had six wings, and with two it flew, and two covered its feet, and the other one yelled, and the doorpost shook. This is not Hollywood. He's watching this, right? So it's interesting that when he says, I looked and I saw the souls of those who had been martyred for the faith, He's not shocked by their appearance. He's talking about them like people that he's looking at. I saw them standing there. Now, we talked about this the other day. They clearly are there. They clearly know what's happening. They even know how they got there because they're like, Lord, how long until you avenge? What happened to us? Did you see how they killed us? You are awesome, and you should really go whip them for that. So they even have an attitude. 
martyrs in heaven are like, would you fix this? And the Lord goes, take it easy. Why don't you rest for a minute? Here's this white robe you earned by holding on to me to the end. It all sounds very natural. It doesn't sound like disembodied ghosts, strange spiritual substance hovering in the never spheres. No, no, no. He's looking at this. And he can see them as people, and they can be handed a robe. So it implies that when we die, we have something of a substance that's something of what we're used to. Right? Look at Revelation 4.4. We'll go backwards a minute and look at something that happened earlier than that. Revelations 4.4 is fun. We're going to do Revelations next year, and so we'll get more into this at that time. But Revelation 4.4 said, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. So they're sitting, clothed in white robes. They have clothes. How many are glad? And they had crowns of gold on their heads. Again, this is all sounding pretty natural. John is not like, I think they were elders, but they had five heads. Like, he's just looking and going, I see them there. Now, the 24 elders is fun because in one camp in the body of Christ, the 24 elders is symbolic of the entire church that's in heaven. And then in another camp, it's a little more literal. There's actually 24 guys, and it's the 12 apostles of the Lord and the 12 sons of Israel. Um, We'll get into all of that later. That's all just fun. But what we can agree on right now is they all had heads. How many are glad? Because <laughs> if he had said they had robes and no heads, that would be a whole nother like, what? No, it all looks very natural. They're sitting there. They have robes. They have crowns, right? Skip down to verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. Again, they clearly have a form and it's clearly not unfamiliar to John. He's talking about very natural actions. They fell down before the Lord, right? And here's, and here's one of the things that I think really matters is that when you think of the earth, right? The earth was created on purpose. They all are awash in this idea that we're a big accident. Don't be confused by that. They need there to be no God so that they have nobody to answer to. They need there to be no God so that there's no right or wrong defined by anybody other than themselves. They need there to be no God so that they can just not be in rebellion when they do everything stupid. So they need there to be no God. But the scripture's clear. God made all of this, and he made it on purpose. And when he was done making it, he even said, that's good. And when he got done putting man on it, he said, that's very good. So this means these ideas of space and time, things like gravity, they fall down and worship. All of this was God's stuff. He liked this. 
I'm going to make this environment where things have weight and things have substance and people move and they do these things. So when we look into heaven, it's really not that surprising that heaven is a lot like what God made on the earth. We want to think about it otherworldly. Nothing there is anything like this. But in the next couple of weeks as we finish this up and we start talking about the new heaven and the new earth, what you start to find out is the stuff God made, he made it because he liked it. And so the new heaven and the new earth has things like rivers and oceans and mountains and trees and grass and fruit and all of that stuff. Why? Because he did that. He wasn't confused when he did it. He looked and said, I think this would be good. And he made it and he said, it is good. And all the angels went, yeah, that's cool. Then he put Adam in the middle of it and all of the angels went, that's a bad call. And God said, you know, it is. He needs a woman to which all of the angels were silent because they're smart. And God made Eve. And immediately, two guardian angels were standing there and went. And from there it was on. But we have to understand that the creation, the idea, was God's. He held it in his heart, and answering to nobody, he spoke and he made it. Right? So when we catch these glimpses into heaven, it's really not that big of a shock that from what we are given in Scripture, everybody say in Scripture, the glimpses we get in heaven, it looks a whole lot like a redeemed earth. A whole lot of stuff there just looks like what should be here. Crystal seas, fruit-bearing trees, sunshine, all of this stuff when we look, when we catch these little glimpses, they don't waste time trying to tell us about a world that's nothing like our own. It points to the fact that our world could have been, and we blew it. When we get to heaven, we discover what we could have had, and by the end of the book of Revelation, heaven comes to earth, and God establishes the kingdom here. And everything here looks like what he held in his heart in the beginning. And it's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. And this little stuff, we're not even going to care. We're not even going to care. We said goodbye to Siri Coles a few months back. You will not catch Siri in heaven sweating for one second that her heart was no good. She is racing around the throne of God right now and just happy. And when you get there and you're, I'm so sorry, what happened? She'd be like, fool, what are you talking about? This has been awesome the whole time. It's about time you all showed up. No, everything about this future for us is good. We were learning the song a few weeks ago, and, and when we first sang it, some of you went, but the line in the song said, the future is bright. There is nothing to fear. Nothing, nothing. God is good. And if he's your dad, you're okay. And don't worry about any of the other stuff. Dad, my hip hurts. I know, Jacob had that problem too. We'll be fine. Lord, they really treated me badly. I did nothing wrong and they, and they treated me really badly. And you know Jesus goes, yeah, familiar with that. 
My best friend stabbed me in the back. Yeah. The devil's raging all around me. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is why I said we can overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Thanks again for stopping by. If you'd like any more info about us, feel free to swing by wellsprings.church. Have a blessed day.